talk dirty to me. The Quick and the Dirty with Hillary and Sandra. You're kidding me. Here are things that I have put in my mouth. Uh, oh my God, Hillary. <laughs> it's what everyone is talking about. Get jazzy on. I'm Hillary from London. And I'm Sandra from Ottawa. And this is the Quick and the Dirty podcast. Yeah, it's where we talk about what you chat about with your friends, except we do it recorded and post it on the internet to embarrass ourselves. That's exactly what we do every <laughs> single week. All right, are we going to start with, uh, you want me to start with a quick this week? Well, before we get into that, just a little heads up about what today's episode is about. We're talking about near-death experiences. Yeah, it's Ooh. it's something that I think we've all thought about and wondered about. And today we have two guests who each say they've had their own near-death experiences. So we're going to explore that a little bit later on. Exactly. So right. what happened to you this oh week? Oh my God. Okay, let me just start off, Hillary, by asking you a question. Okay. Do I look like a bitch to you? <laughs> do you really want the answer? Yes, I do want the answer. <laughs> do I look like a bitch? <laughs> it depends, because sometimes when you start talking and the hands get going, you do have, you have a gift for cut eye. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> when someone... what, okay, what does cut eye mean? It's a... Uh... Well, it's just like the evil eye. When somebody says something that you do not agree with, yeah, it, it is plastered on your face. Okay. But does that make me a bitch? <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> okay. This isn't okay. even remotely where I wanted to be going with this. But I'll, I'll, okay. Thank you for the honest answer. But let, let, me, let me rewind for a second. Okay. What happened? Apparently, I have a super, super aggressive case of resting bitch face. <laughs> like uh, it's it's scary it's aggressive it's off-putting and it's amplified um, how did you find out about this like, i found out about it in the worst way possible a friend of a friend kind of a situation said to me that they met somebody who who asked about me oh you know sandra and i listened to her on the radio i heard she was a bitch so my friend says why would you think that and they said, okay, to see if you can follow along. And they said, well, I have a friend who saw her at an event and said she was a bitch. So when I heard this story, I was like, oh, my, oh, my God, I was a bitch at an event. I would never. I would, I'm a bitch at home, but I'm never a bitch at an event. You know, ask my husband, but not in public. And uh, she said, oh, no, she never spoke to you and she never saw you speak. Your face was just a bitch. <laughs> Like, my face is the reason this woman thinks I'm a bitch based on a <laughs> not even on merit, Hillary. I'm not even a bitch on merit because I can be a bitch. Oh, a yeah. I was good at it. I'm not when I'm working a bitch. Do you think it was maybe you were concentrating? Because my concentration face is the same as my bitch face. Yes. Those two bleed all the time, right? <laughs> when I'm working on a computer, it's like I literally scare myself. I know this because my children take pictures of me and put it on Snapchat. So I know that it's aggressive, my computer face, so the work face. But I guess when I'm standing around, I just look like I'm angry all the time. But then this sparked a whole new discussion. How many times have, have people, specifically men, walked up to you and said, oh, you should smile, smile, smile. Which is bullshit. Which is bullshit. How many men have had people come up to them and say that? Never. Men don't get told to smile because they ju they're just serious people if they're not smiling. No one cares. It's never addressed. So now I'm all pissed off that this woman thinks I'm a bitch, not even based on merit. But it it's coming from another woman, this sexist behavior, the sexist attitude. So right. now I'm actually getting bitchy about it now. <laughs> But I think, 
A lot of things can be misconstrued as bitchy. I can remember when I first started my career, I was in Toronto and there were some of the most talented people in the business working in that building. And I was so nervous around people that I wouldn't say hi. Right. And my boss had to tell me, no, seriously, smile at people and say hi. People think you're a bitch. Wow. That's amazing how people think that just being shy makes you bitchy. Talk talk about two polar ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah, it's it's really strange that you're somehow expected to be happy and go lucky. Like, what if you're just not feeling it? What if you're just not, what if you're, I remember too, being young in this business and being afraid. I mean, I said hello to people, but not the way I would be welcoming people now in my career. It, now that I have confidence, <laughs> I'm not afraid. But back then I was always treading water. I always felt like I was a little more careful. Whereas now you just go up to them and you grab them by the ass. That's right. Now I have cut eye, apparently. <laughs> I've, I literally learned a new word today. Now I have cut eye. Maybe it's also how you're very free with your opinions on air, too. So maybe people just make assumptions. Well, they're probably right. I don't mind being called a bitch if, I, if I'm a bitch. 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 On merit, I'll own it. It's true. And if, if you think I'm a bitch because you don't like my point of view... Well, I'm not a bitch. You're just an idiot. <laughs> There's that. I can't help you with that one. But it's it's just disappointing to know that I was judged just for my angry little face. <laughs> so Sometimes that. I feel like as you get older, too, you can't help it. That line between your eyebrows, your furrow, it just looks mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, so listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a picture of my little resting bitch face, and I want you to take a picture of your little resting bitch face, and let's have a bitch off. <laughs> I know I'll win, so I don't even know why we're bothering, but whatever. Yeah, but if you can't use your words, I might win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hillary. <laughs> that That's my quick this week. And this is a lesson to all the women out there. Um I don't know really what the lesson is, but mostly it's just don't be afraid to just have a resting bitch face. And if someone tells you to smile, you say back to them, you fucking smile. And also, like, why do you have to be nice? <laughs> I know. Not, I'm not saying, like, don't be mean. No, of course but why not. do you have to be? Why is there this expectation that women have to be warm and welcoming yes. all the time? If I don't know you, if I'm not invested in you, why do I have to put forth that effort? Right. I, I think the expectation was this woman was at an event and I guess she thought I was going to go around and I, I, I don't even know what the event was, to be honest, so I can't even speak to it. But you're right. Sometimes you just go and you sort of do your thing in the corner. And if people recognize you or they want to meet you or whatever, and you're not who you th they thought you were, you immediately get put into this little box of being a bitch. Well, I can guarantee you I've been there as well. And well, actually, you are a bitch, though. I, I you're know. Not a bitch. And <laughs> we have a special guest on the show today talking about her own near death experience, but she's also part of my quick, and she can confirm that I am indeed a bitch. Please welcome my mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is my mother, Patricia. Hello, Say Patricia. Hi. Hello. Hi. Patricia, hi. can you confirm that Hillary is in fact a bitch? Uh, yes, yes, she can be quite <laughs> regularly. <laughs> but you know what? She's only a bitch with you, right? Because we're always a bitch to our mothers. Yes, yes, yeah. But then, then she turns around and gives me the hug. So I Aww. have to accept the bitch. <laughs> Would you say, if you're looking at your daughter, that she has a bitch face? 
Uh, not usually. No, I don't think she has a bitch face. Not usually. <laughs> Maybe if I'm stressed out or whatever, but you all can. Abs- absolutely. I, it's ridiculous. So I'm kind of nervous today. Brought my mother in for the show, and we'll get to her story in a little bit. But I, I kind of... Have that feeling like it's bring your kid to work day, but it's bring your mom to work day. Yes. Patricia, is this the first time that you've ever been in Hillary's place of work? Yes. I have distanced myself. Well, actually, I distanced myself five hours away. (laughs) So up until now, you didn't really know if Hillary was in radio or not. That's right. (laughs) It's finally been confirmed to you. Yes, yes. But it's really scary bringing your parents into your office because they know all of your deep, dark secrets. Right, Mom? Definitely. And the ones you want me to know. (laughs) (laughs) So you get to go around now and meet Hillary's coworkers, and they might say the wrong thing to your mom, Hillary, thus destroying your career. Is that what Uh, you're worried about? I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about her. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. (laughs) So the other way around, mom can say the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) It's very, very odd. And also, you try to come across like a, you know, a responsible human being at the office. And you want people to think, you know, you're an adult and you've got things under control. And my mother is fully aware that that is not the case. (laughs) (laughs) And plus, Hillary, when you're around your parents, don't you feel like you're still a kid? So we're at work. You're an independent female, a strong female presence. But when you're around your mom, you're still you're still little Hillary. I you heard it earlier when we were setting up for the podcast. You heard me calling her mommy. I heard you say mommy. That's the cutest thing of life. (laughs) (laughs) But if you were I'm not public, but if you were in public public, would you say mommy? Uh, Yeah, if it was quiet, like (laughs) I would say mom, mom, mama, mama, maybe. Oh, mama. That is just so Sandra has two kids. And and they're getting older and they're in their really shitty teenager stage. Yeah, oh, that's the, a difficult time. Yeah, the 14-year-old hates my goddamn face. <laughs> Your goddamn bitch face. <laughs> he looks at my little bitchy face every day and he's like, Mom, you're a bitch. No, he doesn't. Oh, really? he does, no, he doesn't say it, but I can see that he's thinking it. He just looks at me like, woman, just give me my goddamn dinner and stop asking me about my day. I know that. But anyway, and it, it does get better, right, Patricia? Uh, no, not really. Not for quite some time. Not for the, until the late 20s. Late 20s? What? Yeah. Hillary, that's a long time to be a bitch, Hillary. Don't go calling me a bitch. It's so true. Somebody's projecting. That's part of establishing their identity, though. They're, well, they're... because your mom still wants to be your mom. Right. So I had to move hours and hours away. <laughs> Girl, I moved two hours away from my mother because that was called the safe zone. Yeah. Two. I can't be in the same city. No offense, Patricia, but I couldn't be in the same city as my mother. <laughs> well, you have to be outside of the drop-by zone. That's right. Oh, I can't make it today. It's a little too far for me. Sorry. <laughs> No, she's very good at respecting my independence. That is so sweet. Now. (laughs) Now? I always was. (laughs) Well, except when I was your mother. (laughs) Patricia, is there anything that you would like to say uh, to Hillary about just anything in general that you would like to say to Hillary that you'd like to share with all of us? Basically, Sandra wants you to embarrass me right now. Right here, right now. Uh, uh, 
yeah. There's nothing that I, I, apart from that, I love her and I'm enjoying our life together now. Oh, now. As an adult. Well, because now, you know what? I moved to London. My parents were living in Oakville, which is about an hour and a half drive. And they decided to move to the city of St. Thomas, which is 20 minutes away. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) How wonderful. (laughs) It is wonderful, actually. It's, It's been good. Yeah, you know what? I I think that when we're younger, when I was in my 20s, I lived in Toronto. My family was in Montreal. I liked the distance. And then in in my 30s, when I started having kids, uh, I moved two hours away. And it's it's nice to be able to pop over whenever I want to. But yeah, and my sister lives in Montreal, too. It would be nice to have like a a Sunday night dinner with the gang every week. That would be kind of a nice thing to do, which... I'm not overly sad about, but still, it would be nice. <laughs> Who really needs obligations? Well, yeah, you know what? Exactly. <laughs> if I'm going to continue to live my life as the bitch that I am, I don't really want any. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, God. Right. This is going to be something today, isn't it? It sure is. So uh, it's time to get into the dirty. And the reason we're talking about this is uh, a few, I guess it was a couple months ago, I started watching the OA which oh, is yes, I remember. on Netflix. And it really struck me as uh, it was just very interesting. This woman comes back after being uh, captured and says that she's the original angel. And she has this idea that she's having these near-death experiences while she was captured. And it it got me thinking about kind of how interesting it is because we all have an understanding of that myth that when you almost die, you see your life flash before you, you have, um, uh, you see the light. Yeah. Uh, all you those metaphors. Yeah, everybody kind of has a body experience or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I knew, I can remember from my childhood. So my mother, Pat, she's had her own experience with a, a near death experience. And I don't really remember all the details because I was relatively young and it's one of those things that we vaguely talked about, but not into detail. And I thought, what a, what a, what a great opportunity to bring a couple people on who have experienced it. So, Hillary, this is going to be the first time you've heard your mother's near-death experience in detail? Well, I've, I would say that I've heard it, but I don't remember. Like, when you're 13, you're like, what are you talking about? You're insane. Yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, so, you so we're going to go back to that again. Well, that's very interesting. I also well, no, have I a just de- mean like you know, you think everybody thinks their parents are full of it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in in the Ottawa studio, I also have a guest today who has had her own near-death experience and you know, I, I just like you Hillary, you you were talking about the OA, just life in general. I mean, it's a question that everyone has asked themselves before. What happens when we die? And I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing that there is the possibility that there is an afterlife. And that's really the intriguing part, I think, of the quick and the dirty. Uh, please welcome, from Ottawa anyway, uh, Elaine, Patricia, Hillary, Elaine. Hello. <laughs> Everybody say hello. Hello. hello welcome, Elaine. Elaine. All right, I'm going to turn my mom down for a minute and we're okay. going to have a little chat with Elaine okay. and then we'll come back to talk to Pat, okay? That sounds great. And, you know, I don't really know where to start with you, Elaine, because you have had two sort of life-changing events. So I guess we should just start from the beginning. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You sure you want to go there? I absolutely want to go there. So I I guess we should just start with, let's get right into it. What happened? 
you're, you're saying the two. So you want me to start with the accident? Yes. Okay. When I was 20 years old, I was crushed between three cars on the highway. I was standing between the vehicles and the part of the engine of my Mustang went through my leg. When the cars separated, I went up in the air, uh, end over end, it seems. And as I was coming down towards the highway, it was like someone had cradled me from behind. Uh, it was uh, about 40 below Fahrenheit at the time. And when my head hit the road, it should have smashed like a melon. But I was very gently put on the road and the hood on the fur coat I had on was miraculously up. And this all happened right next to one of my best friend's graves. And I swear to this day that Andrea put me gently on that road so that I could stay alive. Um, There's a lot more to that bit, but... So it was an interception before you actually... You didn't clinically pass away in this situation. Not not that we can um, certify. I was in and out a lot because uh, my femoral artery was split. And the cold, thank God, helped in keeping me alive until we got to the hospital. As it was the 70s, there were no cell phones. There wasn't even 911 back then. So the ambulance actually took quite a while. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a before. That's not the close near-death one. That's right. But to me, that story is interesting because that implies the existence of angels is what it implies, which is very similar to what would happen with a near-death experience, right? We're talking about the afterlife. But so your your friend passed. And how close were you to this grave? Uh, literally, my car was against the fence and her grave was maybe 10 feet from my car. Wow. Yeah. How... How sure are you of what happened? Because you were having a a hundred. So you having a, you you understand that someone would say, really, an angel saved your life, cradled your head, put it on the highway and saved you from being, you know, you know, annihilated, essentially. Absolutely. And there's no question in your mind. Not, not one iota of a question. Have you always been as sure of that fact? Or is it something that you've come to feel over time? Uh, uh, That fact from, from that moment the only thing I knew at the time was it was Andrea, and she just kept saying, you're not done. And that's what ties it to the other story. Because uh, a few years later, just a couple, I was about four and a half months pregnant. Uh, my husband at the time had gone off to work. It was a Saturday morning. Again, we're in the 70s, no cell phones, no 911. And uh, I was sleeping and I don't know if it was my life. It was it was the weirdest dreams I've ever had. And, and it was seeing, you know, life before I came to Canada and, and all kinds of odd things. And then I kept hearing a ringing and it was the phone. I answered the phone and it was my friend. And she tells me later that I was kind of going in and out of the conversation. I said to her, I don't know what's wrong. I feel like, I don't know, like I'm in water. And um, what had happened, I had had a miscarriage. And unfortunately, I was hemorrhaging so badly, and I guess had been for a number of hours, that I was too weak um, to actually help myself. 
And uh, my girlfriend said that I just suddenly wasn't there anymore, and she's screaming at the phone. Uh, she went and got her parents, and they called an ambulance, and the ambulance, I guess they had to break down the door of our house to come and get me. But I can remember just feeling very, I don't know, ethereal, I guess is the word I'd use. Everything was just light and comfortable, and I just was happy to go. I, I, I can't say where or, or what it was that I was going to. It just felt right. And then and then it was like I was stopped by ice. It was, it, I just kept hearing, no, you're not done. You're not done. It's like you can't go there. You're not done. And I, I can remember being like watching a, a hospital room and wondering, you know, how am I seeing? How am I here? And I can I kept hearing people saying, "No, Trendelenburg, Trendelenburg." I didn't even know what that word was. And a few days later, when I came back, they told me that I had basically died. And um, they had to put me in something called Trendelenburg position because I had lost so much blood, there was no oxygen, I guess, getting to my brain. But it was odd because I saw that the room and, and heard the people and, you know, everybody was kind of rushing. And I kept thinking, what's, what's the big hurry? But in the back of my head, it was just, you're not done. You're not done. You're so not were done. you seeing the room from what perspective? Like like I was sitting on, like back in that the day, they used to have these TV arms that were way, way up high in the, ho- the hospital room. They still do, actually. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of them now. Yeah. The, the older yeah. ones. Yeah. But yeah, way, it, and it was like I was perched up there. Like, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't cohesive thoughts. And, and it wasn't until much later talking to a friend that, that I even realized, what had maybe happened, but it it became kind of a theme through my life. Um, I I had have been very ill over time, and always in the back of my mind, when things get really bad, there's always this little voice saying, "You're not done. You're not done." Do you think that the those voices were people in the room, like the doctors talking to you, or do you really feel that it was something from beyond? Uh, no, the, the you're not done what's not in the room. The, the, the medical jargon and the Trendelenburg, and, and that was the people in the room. The you're not done was away. I don't know. It was a distant voice. It, was it a voice that you heard or just no, a feeling it, that you it, got? It's a, yeah, it's not a voice. It's, it's, it's almost like reading the words in your mind. Yeah. Do you, is it possible? I, I'm sure over time you've sort of dissected it a million yeah. times trying to say, okay, am I crazy? Did this really happen? I was, you know, I was kind of dead at the time. So maybe I, because to me, you know, when you wake up from, you, you know, when you fall asleep to the television yeah. and then you start incorporating those sounds and those events into your dream. Is there any part of you that, that thought that's what was going on? Is that you were hearing Trellenberg, Trellenberg and all the, those words and you just kind of hung on to, hung on to those words? Well, it, at that time, okay, this is a few years after the accident. So I've now had, I think I was closing in on 20 surgeries at that point. <sighs> so when, when they put you to sleep and you come awake, yeah, there are things you hear, but it wasn't that. And I always knew it wasn't that because you always pick up things 
and you know surgeries were now somewhere in the 50s it's always the same kind of yeah you pull things out of what you're hearing around you right <clears throat> but no no this this was not that how does your family what do they think about your experiences and what you claim those experiences to be well, the family has just come to accept that, that Andrea kept me here, and and um, that's all there is to that one. The second one, we don't actually talk about, because um, that was another family. Do you doubt at times what you, I mean, you say you're 100% sure, but do you ever have moments of doubt? I'm 100% sure of Andrea. Right. The The second one... I think the familiarity of the the words or that the sentence, the phrase, whatever it was, that's what always like picked at me. And it's like, well, why those words? Why in, in that way? That one I've always questioned. Andrea, never, 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 never. Andrea's so the interesting here. But... What do you think was happening the second time around when you were like, what, who was, who, who was the voice? What, you know what I mean? Who, what was happening? I mean, you have got, I mean, you must have thought about it over time and said, okay, someone was telling me something and I listened and I went back and I wasn't done. Who was the voice? And, and that's, that's the one thing I've always questioned because there was nobody at that point, like close in my family, not my grandmother, not my, no one was, had died. So there was really nobody really close except maybe my my mother's parents, but I never met them. Uh, so that's the the one thing I think that that always made me wonder. Well, you know, what the hell? Other other than Andrea, and if you'd known her, she was forever telling me that you know. You really should think about things. You really should think about things. You, you you need to do that, or you know, yeah, you you should go farther. So it, for me, I she's I'm, the voice in your I head guess, I, in your life, yeah. isn't she? And I, I, it's funny because I never I never tied her to that before. I ever thought of it? And now, it could be. It could be because it's that same. You're not done, but it's it's. Uh, a phrase that I kind of live with now. You're not done? I'm not done. I'm looking to see what it is that I haven't done. But, <laughs> but I'm you know, not it's done. super powerful because I think that my mother had a similar situation. If uh, you want to transfer into that story a little bit. Okay. Um, when I was young, I don't even know what age I was when you had your near-death experience, Mom, I have to be honest, because you were in and out of hospital a lot of my childhood, right? Right. Um, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. She's not sure, fully convinced that she had Crohn's disease, uh, but it was a, a long diagnosis. Uh, in fact, at one point, they didn't think she was sick at all. And uh, is that... When you had your big moment, which surgery was it? I can't remember. The first surgery was uh, the big moment. Uh, uh, I was in the operating room, and uh, I had been out for a long time. I 
because they okay backstory on the on the, the biology of everything that happened. So my mom had uh, Crohn's disease, but it hadn't been diagnosed at that point, right? Or had it yes, been? Yes, it had, but by an X-ray only. Right. So they went in to do an operation to or to explore. No, I had uh, a mass uh, on my ovary and my appendix, around my appendix and ovary. But in actual fact, it was a, they thought it was a mass, a cyst on my ovary, but it was a, a mass around my ovary and my appendix. And it was, um, they, both of them were gangrenous inside the, the cyst the, the, or the abscess. And uh, they they th- just thought it was on the ovary. So they went in to fix that, and then they found a mess. Yes. When they went I inside. had leaked inside, and um, so they because they and they saw that where the Crohn's was, but uh, they didn't touch the Crohn's. They only went for the because of the gangrene. They only cleaned up the gangrene and closed me back up. Right, and then but you were quite ill. Like things did not go well on the operating table. Uh, I had an I had my experience, and uh, it was uh, I was uh, I was laying on the table, and then I I seemed to rise from the table, and then the vortex. There was a vortex around like me. a swirl, like a, a vortex swirl around me, like a tunnel. Okay. Around me, a a tunnel around me, and I went. I was floating down through the middle of the tunnel, going towards a huge light. It was like the most beautiful light you've ever seen, and it it made me all warm and comfortable. And there was a figure standing at the end of the tunnel, and I was going towards feet first, going towards the tunnel, uh, uh, to the figure. And I was so at peace. I wasn't in pain anymore. Uh, I wanted to go towards the light, and it was so pleasurable. And it it was just, I was so happy, and I, I I just wanted to go towards the light. And then there was a voice. It sounded like it was male, and it said, you can't. You can't go. You have more work to do. And, and do you know whose voice that was? No. I can remember when you got home from the hospital, you were so mad at dad. And when when I woke <laughs> up, when I came back, I was so angry. I came back because I wanted to go towards the light. And my husband was leaning over me, up and over me in the hospital bed. And he was saying, Pat, Pat. And I went... Oh no! All over again. <laughs> oh, God, I gotta live with you. Come oh, on! No, I have to fix it all now. <laughs> this must be the work that I have to do. Um, <laughs> I was so angry at my husband. You have no that I had to come back. <laughs> like wanted- you have no idea. Like fighting all the time, so mad because I was, because I you wanted ang- to explore what was going on in I your. I wanted to. Well, I wa- I wanted to go to. It was so peaceful and so beautiful, and just I was so at peace and no pain. And when I knew that if I went back, I'd be so full of pain. 
And uh, actually, and I, when I did come back and his face was over me, I was full of pain. I was just, I was just unbelievable pain. I thought I was going to die all over again. Anyway. Oh, husbands. <laughs> uh, anyway, I survived. And so three, you survived. I, I do. Three, have, yes. I have to ask you. To, I'm sorry. I didn't ask this question to Elaine either, but I have to ask each of you ladies. Do you believe in God? Patricia, do. you do. Elaine, yeah. do you believe in God? Uh, I do. I believe in something greater than us. Did you always believe in God, something greater or did this change things for you? I I think I always have. Right. And and Elaine, you, were you spiritual was, before then or no, not at all? I this was just a changed. Catholic and as a teen, so rebellious because I just couldn't understand a God that would make, you know, children and people that were blameless hurt. Right. So this was a turning point. I started actually looking into, there's got to be more than this. Right. So that's, that was my question. Has it changed your faith in any way? Has it made you more religious or anything like that? Not religious. Spiritual. Spiritual. Mom, you also are spiritual in a certain way. But I remember when you were sick, you would talk to your body. Yes, I still do. <laughs> it, it's kind of bizarre. Uh, really? <laughs> I, I, say, I, yeah. I was very fortunate. Uh, I, I was told never to talk about this publicly. I don't know if I should. Oh, you definitely uh, should. Uh, I was taught by a physician to do self-hypnosis in order to deal with the pain because it was taking so long to figure out what was wrong. So he taught me how to do self-hypnosis. And um, it's basically like Lamaze uh, when you're having childbirth. And it's trying to uh, focus and, f and identify the parts of your body. But it always came off like you were talking to your body almost like it was your spiritual being. Well, I think it is. Like you're, it's your soul. Like your soul, you have a core inside you, and and you have many parts of you, and then you have a part of you that controls. I mean, you have your brain, your subconscious, and your conscious, and and parts that you don't really know. And it's there's a part that controls all your parts, and that's the part that I talk to, dear part that controls mm -hmm. all my parts. <laughs> Am I ill? Do you know if I'm ill? If I'm not ill, well, you know, uh, and but you have to identify the parts of your body first for that, for your subconscious, mm -hmm. because there's no language for that part. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not a, a, a part that has language. So you have to identify the parts of your body. So it and sp while you're speaking yeah. to it. Now, I will admit that as a child and as a teen, when you would talk about this sort of stuff, I often questioned whether you were high. <laughs> it's self-hypnosis. Well, not just that stuff, but like the near-death experience stuff. I think I was maybe a little more skeptical. And like, did you feel, Elaine, like you ever had to worry about sharing your experiences because people would think you were a little bit off? Oh, I think people have always thought I was a little off. Uh, <laughs> sorry. That's the least of your problems. Yeah. Huh? yeah. yeah. I, in 2004, 
uh, uh, well, for years, uh, a couple of friends were trying to get me to talk to this one person who's sort of a spiritual, I don't know, mentor. Uh, she's someone my son now calls the holistic missile. Because, <laughs> you know, by 2004, I was chronically ill. I was basically bedridden and really didn't have a lot. So when I took my questions to her and learned some tools, you know, like Pat, I I guess I I do self-hypnosis and meditation. Um, I don't talk to the parts of my body in that way, but I will try and focus the healing on other things so that I don't have to deal with you know, some of the things that I have to go through. So there is definitely now a more spiritual component. Self-hypnosis and meditation are definitely parts of it. And, and when um, I, I smoked a long, long, long time ago, and in 1989, when I stopped, I already had, I stopped through a hypnosis thing and used to play these tapes and my kids said it was like the sound of the whales every morning <laughs> <laughs> now do people uh, are you open with your experience your near-death experiences and do people think you're crazy uh the accident is as a matter of fact has has been wild why widely spoken about i've actually talked about it on stage because there's actually a little more to it than you're getting here um, no, no one's called me crazy for that reason ever. Um, I fully acknowledge Andrea's assistance then and ongoing in my life. It's to me just a fact. Do you believe, this is a question I think I probably should have asked sooner because I, I, I know we talked about the spirituality of all. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that there is an afterlife now? Or do you think that this, if, are you afraid of death? Do you believe that there's an afterlife? Talk to me. I mean, it's a, it's a comforting thought for all of us to think that there's something more than just this. I believe we are souls having a human experience and therefore the soul continues. Everything is energy. I know this now, it, it just goes on. So yeah, it's definitely comforting. Not in a religious way. Not the way I was brought up. I was brought up a Catholic. Um, not in that way, but in the spiritual knowing and understanding that my my soul goes on. And, and you know, we when we lose somebody, we are grieving our loss, not theirs. We're grieving that we can no longer interact with them. Or, you know, we do the same with our, our fur kids. We, we're grieving what we have lost. We're not actually grieving the person per se. It's a very human thing to feel it like that so that mm -hmm. it relates to us. But on the soul level, there's no loss. The energy's there. It's just not in a form you can grab. Patricia, mom, I was going to ask but your mom the same question. Sorry, Hillary. I, I'm going to ask something similar. Are you afraid? I mean, you're not young, but you're not old. You have lots of time left. And if your 
dad is any indication you're going to be a pain in my ass for about 30 more years. I uh, intend to. My grandfather lived to be 100. God, that was, wow, 100. <laughs> wow. Uh, so if that's any indication, if it were to come sooner, are you afraid to die? I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of the pain of dying, that's all. But knowing what you experienced then, was it, in that moment, it wasn't painful. No, that dying process is not painful. It's a natural phenomenon, I think. And uh, uh, our body's designed to help us die. I think it's a, a natural thing. Uh, but, I mean, the process of the illness of, of uh, you know, is hard. But uh, my spiritualism helps me through that. I'm not, quote, religious as... The other, as Elaine said, but I Mom's also a uh, lapsed Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) I I say recovering. 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 (laughs) I'm not, I I, I consider myself still a Catholic. Uh, It's sort of part of who I am. The guilt? Uh, No. And fear. No, no. No, no, I've gone past the guilt. Uh, (laughs) I think when you go into the spiritual part, it's, uh, there's, I, I, I believe in uh, religion, but I just don't believe in the um, man's creation of religion. The politics. That, yes. Yeah. So uh, you're. Do you do anything spiritually, Mom? I honestly don't know because yes, I do. Our family. I will. Uh, my dad is Protestant. My mom is Catholic. There was no church in the family. I went to church so I could sing. No, we took you to church, dear. <laughs> <laughs> On my request. Uh, no, we took you both before. Uh, that was one thing that was a Briefly. priority. Yes. Um, <laughs> Someone's got a sketchy memory. Uh, yes, she certainly does. <laughs> no, she but, was too little. What, by the time I was 12, I was going on my own. Yes. So you could yes. sing. Yeah. And Derek, we couldn't get Derek to go. That's my brother, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but we always did try and go as a family and uh, for as long as we could. <laughs> and um, yes, and, and because I was Catholic and your dad was Protestant, it was kind of difficult, you know, getting... But you still do practice in your own way? Yes, I do. I do, I, I do go to church every now and again. <laughs> when this Christmas spir- and Easter When my folks. spiritual part reminds me. Uh, I, I do pray a lot. It's more of a personal interaction. Uh, I guess it's more of a right brain thought process. So interesting that that would uh, bring that back on. Yeah. I, I'm going to ask uh, Elaine the same question you asked your mom. Are you afraid to die? No, not at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. Definitely not. No, I'm not either. Okay, well, that's comforting. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you find, Hillary? I find that's that's comforting because it's something that, you know, everybody, you know, my kids are at an age now. They're 14 and 16 where we've talked about it before and they'll say, you know, what's it like to die? I'm kind of afraid to die when they're starting to realize their own mortality. Yeah, wait till you get older and people in your life start to actually die. People your own age. Yeah. Oh, God. I know. I know. And we lost somebody close to us a couple of years ago as well, Hillary, in the radio business. And that just makes you sort of take stock of your life. And it makes you realize to take care of the people that you love and to try to live your best life because you never know. And honestly, I wouldn't say it comforts me to know that they're not afraid to die, but 
for my own death. What it does comfort me in is knowing when the time does come that I have to say goodbye to you, mom. We've got, as I said, plans to be a pain in my ass for many years to come. Yes. But when that does, when that does arrive, that moment, I, uh, I'm glad to know that you're not afraid. And I hope that I can help you make that transition. And like your grandfather, who lived to be 100 and lived to a full 100, I mean, he played bridge like six weeks before he died. Whoa. He was yeah, he was on the golf course till he was like in his mid eighties. Uh, no, ninety three. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I've I, been corrected. <laughs> uh, he drove. He drove until he was ninety three. Uh, he lived a full life, and he had a, a, an unbelievable appreciation of life. He was a hard, hard father. He was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> hard, hard father. But uh, uh, I still ha- have a lot of respect for him, and he taught me a lot about life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to appreciate it and live it to the yes, fullest. Yes, absolutely. Our, my, in my family, uh, the closest we've come to speaking about the afterlife and so on is that we always say, don't don't piss me off because I'll come back to haunt you. We <laughs> like we threaten each other regularly that, you know, so I, I guess we do believe in the afterlife in our family. I have an aunt who has always said, I have a I have a highly developed sixth sense and I can I'm living in two worlds. But we think she is on drugs. So it's tough. <laughs> we, we just go with it now. You know, nobody even questions that anymore. But, but I think that's the, the go to is when someone talks about a near death experience or something on a spiritual level, because maybe you haven't and it it, it frightens you a little bit your go-to is oh they must be crazy yeah if you can't see it it can't be real I mean most of us need to either have something scientifically backed up or see it it has to be tangible but to to hear that there's something out there that we can't see and we don't understand and it's spiritual that is far too abstract for many many brains to comprehend I think funny because back in the day it wasn't and i think now that we have so much science yeah i don't know i are we better off because we require scientific proof i don't think so i think there's a lot less anxiety if you just accept that there are things out of your control and that there are things that you don't know about i i absolutely agree with you i i find it so comforting to know that there is a possibility that when I pass into another realm, I mean, I always, I've always believed that, you know, when I'm dead, I'm going to be taking a long dirt nap and that'll be the end of it. <laughs> Honestly. And, and, and that's a reality that I'm not really thrilled about. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that there's a part of me that wants to believe it just because it's wishful thinking and it's just a nice way. It's a nice thing to believe that there's more out there. But I think most of us are like, I have to see it to believe it kind of people. But, but you, you, Elaine and you, Patricia, have seen it and you do believe it, and it's truly incredible. Um, it's it it it's also peaceful. helps you helps you uh, live with illness and 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 like the, these techniques you build from a bad experience, and your the recognition sort of helps you cope with your illnesses, whatever they are, as well too. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Mommy, thank you. <laughs> I, I was, was a little nervous, I won't lie. Well, Hillary, did you learn more about your mom today and her experience than you thought you'd learn, or was this the story you'd heard growing up? Uh, 
just more details that I I wasn't sure on them because your memories as a child they all meld together and because she was sick for so much right that I I don't remember all of the details you don't remember. I, I had another experience while I was sick before the surgery mom we're wrapping things up here oh, sorry dear <laughs> oh dear <laughs> You attention grabber. What a bitch, Hillary. Holy shit. I'm looking for a new job. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me ask you both. Do you have any final words to anybody who's listening to this podcast right now who thinks they may have had a near-death experience but don't trust the things that have happened to them? Do you have any final parting words? Just believe in yourself. Take it as comfort. Yes, I agree. As a gift. As a gift. Yes, I, I agree. It's been a wonderful gift for me. And you, Elaine, a good gift? Absolutely. That's incredible. And, and it gives you compassion for others. It sounds like we should all have a near-death experience, because <laughs> I feel like this world could use a little more compassion, really, when you think Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. But you know what? I'm good. You're good? I'm good. <laughs> well, all right. I'll take my little resting bitch face, and I'll get out of here now. <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us, ladies. And don't forget to follow The Quick and the Dirty on social. Instagram, at Hillary on air, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter, at Hillary Welch, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. And Facebook, at Quick and Dirty Podcast. If you've got a question for us, you can email us at thequickandthedirty at gmail.com.